Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. I think something weird is going on with the government's kind of uh, switch in messaging around the whole COVID thing and uh, see if you buy my theory at all. Um, after we listen to a couple things, this is uh, uh, Walensky. Is that her name? She's uh, Rochelle Walensky, yeah. the, the lady running. Rolinsky. She's the lady that runs the, uh, the CDC. Dolinsky. I'm going to run through the entire alphabet till I get it. Yes, Walensky with a W. Uh-huh. Sorry. So we're going to hear from her. But first, we're going to hear from the governor, the new governor of, of New York, because the old governor couldn't stop grabbing 20-year-old women. They got a new governor who's a woman. But anyway, she was talking about the um, who's dying and who's getting sick and who's in hospitals with the COVID. Looking at just uh, on the 4th of January, we realized that 39% of the people are hospitalized with non-COVID-related reasons. And checking in yesterday's number, that number was actually 42%. Now, that is our statewide average. But it's important to also look at the variations in our different parts of the state. The most number of people admitted for non-COVID reasons as of just yesterday, or a couple days ago, are in New York City. Uh, It's about 50-50, 50-50. So half of the hospitalizations in New York City are someone who needs to be there because of their COVID, severity of their COVID situation, and the other half are there for other reasons. Why are they saying it out loud now? We've known this for a very, very long time. Now NPR and liberal governors are saying it out loud, and now this from the CDC as I build my case. This is Walensky. I want to ask you about those encouraging headlines that we're talking about this morning, this new study showing just how well vaccines are working to prevent severe illness. Given that, is it time to start rethinking how we're living with this virus, that it's potentially here to stay? The overwhelming number of deaths, over 75%, occurred in people who had at least four comorbidities. So really, these are people who were unwell to begin with. At least four. The over. So why have you been keeping this information from us? For, so the other information that all these months, and this has been true for a long time, maybe not as high as numbers, but still a pretty good chunk of the people you've been hearing about as hospitalization cases were people in there for other reasons. They got tested and turns out they got COVID. And they were hiding that fact. When it benefited them. How about that stat? How have you been hiding that one? The vast majority of people who have died from COVID had four or more comorbidities? Yeah. yeah. When you've been acting for the last two years that if you're just a healthy 25-year-old college kid walking down the street, you might get struck dead by COVID at any moment. Right. Right. Yep. So I think this is what I think is going going on. Uh, I think I think Joe Biden thought, he could say crap like, I'm not going to shut down the economy. I'm going to shut down the virus because it was about to run its course. And by the time he took his office, it was going to be more or less o- over. And he was going to take credit for the fact that it ended. But it hasn't worked out that way. There have been a couple of mutations. And now uh, more people died the first year of Joe Biden's presidency than the last year of Trump's presidency. And I think now they've got to change the whole story about all this source of. No, no, people are in the hospital. With those case numbers you're hearing, not a big deal. They just happened to be there for other reasons that got COVID. And the people that are dying, they had all kinds of health problems. So you can't lay that at the foot of any government policy. These people Hmm. were very ill. 
That's the only thing I can think of that they're now revealing information that has been known for a long time. Scott Atlas, the guy that got booted off Twitter a couple of times, the the doctor that's on Fox but uh, laughed at on all the other channels, he's been saying a lot of this stuff forever. Right. He got in trouble for saying it. Now the CDC director saying it out loud. Why? Why? What's going on there? As we often say, there are very few things that are just one thing. And I think your theory is absolutely right. That absolutely partly explains it. I think the other part of it is, and first of all, let's agree. Let's stipulate those in power are contemptuous of us, of we the people, the common folk, etc., um, and they believe that if they craft uh, our marching orders properly, uh, leaving out inconvenient truths, let's keep it simple for the dopes. Let's not give them the full array of the truth, because that would distract from what we want them to do. Okay? You run into that a lot in life. You know, teacher, parent, boss, government official, whatever. They simplify things. You don't need to know all of it. That would just, that would decrease your compliance. Your enemy, if you're going with that plan, your enemy is time. Because more and more people come to a greater and greater realization that, wait a minute, you've been misleading me in both minor and significant ways. And frankly, it's insulting to my intelligence. I could have handled the full truth. And now I'm not sure I believe a single damn thing you say. Hmm. I think that has been building and building. Yeah, no kidding. And um, they no longer have the luxury of being the the great, wise oracle on high telling us how to live our lives. It's it's certainly unfair to say that, that, that this has been known for the whole time because it took a while to get our hands around do you catch this for from services? You know who's it killing? Well, blah, and blah, Omicron's blah. different from Delta too. True, that's true. Uh, but it has been known for a very long time that if you're obese and have high blood pressure and a couple of other things, as you just heard, and over seventy five, that's who it's killing. But I mean, the vast majority of the numbers, that's who it's killing. And acting like it's the same level of risk for me. Or a high, or a college kid, or a child is just crazy. But that's what we've been doing the whole time. Well, and the obscene—I mean, the just angering hypocrisy of the "we believe in science" crowd. I mean, for instance, the the COVID policies on universities. As I said before uh, earlier, Marty Macri, Doctor Marty Macri, his piece that uh, university COVID policies defy science and reason—they absolutely do. You got a, a bunch of healthy nineteen-year-olds, and you're imprisoning them. Because they might get the sniffles. It's it's bizarre. I mean, seriously, in 50 years, to the extent that anybody looks back at this at all, people will look back on this and, and, and they will be convinced that we, the people of the early 21st century, were just nuts or stupid or superstitious or something. There will be no explaining it logically. Boy, masks are back in my uh, part of the world. I know in a lot of America you haven't. Worn a mask in months, but uh, at the park outside the other day, my son was the only one at the park without a mask of all the kids and parents. The that only is... one, one human being at the park, and there were probably 50 people there without a mask, and that was my son. That defies science and reason. That's superstition. I'll tell you That's what. tribalism. It works on your mind, though. You start thinking, am I doing something wrong? When you, I mean, when you look around and everybody else is doing something different. I talked myself out of it, but... 
Well, sure, yeah. It's a, if you see a bunch of people running in terror away from a particular point, you, you don't want to go toward it. You know, just instinctively. I get that. But it is... It's disturbing to hear that. And I didn't witness it personally. In in, in my part, uh, nobody's had a mask on in ages. <laughs> this is just recent, though. This is since the Omicron explosion. Yeah, it, it, had yeah. gone, it had gone to no masks mostly. Uh, certainly outside, but man, it is. Everybody's masked up now. W- Coronavirus! Catch me outside! You can't. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Um, I've been saying for a while, we're all going to get Omicron. We're all going to get it. So just get used to it. Uh, the WHO just announced more than half of Europe's population may be infected with Omicron in weeks. Yeah, we're all going to get it. I mean, the, the, explain to me how we're not going to all get it. <laughs> People that are vaccinated are getting it. People that aren't vaccinated are getting it. It spreads. It's um, It's a miracle of biology, the way it spreads. It's just absolutely incredible how spreadable it is. I, I think if we just embrace that, won't we, and craft policy around that, won't we be much better off? It is urgent. It is nearly at the emergency point that we move into the endemic phase and say, hey, this is going to be around for a long time. It's an incredibly minor illness for most people. Let's be, let's, let's behave accordingly. Let's live our lives. And, you know, specifically, I'm looking at, and this is, this is, you know, uh, some old ground, but it's, it's renewed cancer screenings, uh, heart disease treatments, uh, uh so-called, uh, non-emergency surgeries, which we found out just means it's a surgery that can be scheduled. You might be in excruciating pain. It might threaten your life, what the surgery is addressing. But if it's a non-emergency surgery, they won't give it to you because of the sniffles going around. You know what's crazy? This is so freaking insane. I gotta, I gotta stay calm. <laughs> we simultaneously are seeing Companies and hospital systems, um, although fewer hospital systems now, and, and cities like the city of San Diego, firing, finally getting around to firing people who didn't get the jab. Meanwhile, the policy is healthcare workers who have an active case of COVID-19, the Omicron, can come to work and work. So if you refuse the vaccine, which really has minimal effect on you spreading the disease, you will be fired. But if you actually have the effing disease, you can come to work. Now, if that doesn't make you want to throw bricks through plate glass windows (laughs) or grab people by the throat and throttle them until they hear sense, I don't know what would. If if heads actually could explode, there would be brain all over the walls, wow. and Michelangelo would be going for a bucket in the janitor's closet. Because well, the first head, time, my head would have gone kerblooey. Two international stories around COVID. Bojo, Boris Johnson's in trouble for throwing an unmasked garden party. Oh, who gives a flying crumpet? And China has locked down another major city. Because of Omicron ahead of the Olympics, I think they're really worried that, uh, boy, if Beijing gets hit with the Omicron while the Olympics are going on. I mean, I know they're not going to have crowds, uh, really, but there's a lot of athletes there. Well, yeah, and, and here's the part I really like as a China hawk. Winnie the Pooh, she has committed to the zero COVID thing, which is, with Omicron, hilarious. I mean, zero COVID has gone from stupid to now just hilarious. And if he's going to keep doubling down on that sort of strategy as Omicron goes crazy across China, he is going to be exposed as a nut job. Armstrong and Getty. 
is in the San Francisco Chironicle, written by a fellow by the name of Joe Matthews. And I quote, if California, and he's, he's talking about, obviously, the formerly golden state and soon to be the entire United States, if California is ever going to achieve true equity, the state must require parents to give away their children. Today's Californians often hold up equity. The idea of a just society completely free from bias. Well, okay, wait a minute. As our greatest value. I'll finish the sentence. All right, number one, uh, most Californians don't hold up equity as our greatest value. Secondly, equity, as used in the modern world, is absolutely not the idea of a just society completely free from bias. And you know it, you Marxist liar. That's the great lie. People are too stupid to accept Marxism, so we must force it down their throats by deceit. It's been true from the beginning. But anyway, this guy claims equity is our greatest value. Governor Gavin Newsom said he makes decisions through an equity lens. Institutions from dance ensembles to tech companies have publicly pledged themselves to equity, along with diversity and inclusion. Yeah, because they're cowards. But their promises of newly equitable systems are no match for the power of parents. Fathers and mothers with greater wealth, education, or other resources are more likely to transfer these advantages to their children, compounding privilege over generations. As a result, children of less advantaged parents face an uphill struggle. Social mobility is stalled. That's absolutely not true. And democracy has been corrupted. More Californians are giving up on the dream, according to a recent poll. Uh, My solution is simple, and while we wait for the legislation to pass, we can act now. The rich should give their children to the poor. No, this has got to be a joke. And the poor should give their children to the rich. (laughs) No, what? What? Homeowners might swap children with their homeless neighbors. Now, I recognize that some naysayers, hopelessly attached to their privilege, will dismiss dismiss such a policy as ghastly, even totalitarian. But my proposal is quite modest, a fusion of traditional philosophy and today's most common political obsessions. There's something missing here. There's no way this guy's writing a serious column where he's suggesting, I give my children to a homeless person and raise the homeless person's children. You know, he goes, he he quotes Plato of old, his sage advice that children be possessed in common so that no parent will know his own offspring or any child his parents in uh, order to defeat nepotism. And he goes on, today, universal orphanhood aligns with powerful social trends that point to less interest in family. Uh, He points out people are slower to marry and have fewer children. The state's birth rate is at an all-time low. True. Surveys also suggest many of us are breaking off ties with family members who don't share our politics, which is sick, shallow, rigid, and twisted. But my proposal would be unifying, fitting hand-in-glove with the most cherished policy of progressives and Trumpians alike. Wow. I tell you what, if this is humor, this is really, really subtle. (laughs) Too subtle. Boy, that's a crazy person. I mean, if he's serious, and it's so over the top, I can't take it seriously. If he's actually serious, he is a crazy person. I mean, he's a Hitler-like character. But wait, there's more. Uh, My proposal also would give Democrats the opportunity to build a new pillar of the social democracy they seek, a new system for raising children called foster care for all. Under this system, Democrats could stop pretending that they will enact universal preschool or child care, which they promised and failed to deliver for a generation. 
Over on the right, you'll see people posing as parent defenders. But Republicans are happy to jettison fathers and mothers to pursue their greatest passions, like violating migrant rights. So this guy is militant. And they printed this in the San Francisco Chronicle. Yes, they did. Goes into abortion a little bit. Then here's, here's your big finish. Perhaps such coercion sounds dystopian. But just imagine the solidarity that universal orphanhood would create. Wouldn't children raised in one system find it easier to collaborate on climate change and other global problems? Now, I don't expect universal support for universal orphanhood. Oh, you don't? (laughs) A few contrarians lost in the empty chasm between American extremes might object to this rational proposal on emotional grounds. They might argue that pursuing your own conception of family is fundamental to freedom, or that our differences and biases, for all the damage they can do, also give human life much of its meaning. They may also suggest that people don't really want to start or finish at the same point in life. They may even say that what we really desire is what the title... Uh, orphan of the musical Annie insisted upon. I didn't want to be just another orphan, Mr. Warbucks. I wanted to believe I was special. But you shouldn't pay those critics any mind because they just can't see how a relentless pursuit of equity might birth a brave new world. Again, if that is sarcasm, he should have laid it on a little thicker. Mm. That's crazy. I see who this guy writes for. Um... Zocalo Public Square. What is that? Is he trying to portray a crazy person who believes this sort of stuff to make a point? Is that it? Because it can't be real. Armstrong and Getty. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. But resist, we must. The Armstrong and Getty Show. It's always great uh, when we get a chance to talk to Ian Bremmer, who is the president and founder of Eurasia Group, a political risk research and consulting firm whose job is to figure out what's going on, not to please us politically, but to protect its clients, etc. Ian joins us now. How are you, sir? Hey, how are you, men? Good to talk to you. Happy New Year. Thank you. Same to you. Before we get started, we want you to know that something you said on your last appearance on the Armstrong and Getty Show has become a fan favorite. We play it all the time. Michael, if you'd be so kind. Are you shitting me? Oh, I thought we were going to play the long version of it. <laughs> the hell? Do you people not talk to each Would other? Would I rather be in Washington or in Beijing? Are you shitting me? Of course, I'd rather be in the United States, right? I don't. I don't know if you recall saying that, and we we wondered at the time, like, did. Was that a slip of the tongue? Were you just excited? Did you forget we were on the air? Did you think we're a college radio show? We we're just wondering yeah, what was I, going on. I did. I thought you. I thought that you allowed, um, you know, sort of more casual obscenities. We should. <laughs> it's it's my jihad is to 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 allow bull s to be used on the air. But no, yeah, we have millions and millions of podload downs, uh, podcast downloads. But it starts as a radio show. So anyway, we are not essing you, Ian. We are glad. <laughs> to be chatting with you about the 2022 global risk list it is compelling as always uh now as as former djs we might want to count down to number one but let's just start with number one (laughs) what what is number one this year number one number one well we've been living with this pandemic for the last two years so it's hard to throw it out especially with the gaudy number of cases that you know was 750,000 yesterday in the u.s and it's as sure as an undercount that the name of the number one risk is no zero covid and what that means because you know we're focusing on the whole year is that actually the biggest problem is china 
um, the, the country that did the best job responding to COVID once they admitted to it uh, back in 2020 because they could test and trace, they could lock down, they could quarantine. They're going to have an enormously hard time dealing with the newest variant, Omicron, because as you've seen from a bunch of Biden advisors the last couple of days, we need to pivot to living with the virus. We've got the therapeutics. We've got the vaccines. And it's not about case numbers anymore. It's about hospitalizations and deaths. The Chinese can't do that. And they can't do it, number one, because their vaccines don't work in any way to stop Omicron spread. Number two, because no one in China has actually gotten the virus yet. So they have very low antibody levels and they're focusing on stopping spread. So they, they will shut down a city of 13 million people with a handful of cases. They have the ability to do it. The impact of that this year on the Chinese economy and on the Chinese supply chain to the rest of the world is going to be really, really big. And no one's really focusing on this yet. So uh, that that strikes us as the biggest problem out there for 2022. Okay, so you got to that at, at the end there. That makes sense because while I'm I'm not a, a horrible human being that doesn't care about people, I'm not that concerned about how many people in China end up getting COVID. The fact that it affects the supply chain for the rest of the world, you think that's going to be a, a noticeable problem? Yeah, it's the second largest economy in the world, and it's the factory for the world. And, you know, if you ask Americans what they're most concerned about right now and what's driving Biden's comparatively low popularity, they'll say inflation. Well, where do you think that comes from? I mean, you know, we've had real difficulties getting goods from China. We've had real challenges with port facilities and with container ships and the rest. Well, that that should get fixed a lot faster if we're all able to live with the virus. But if the world's second largest economy and biggest producer of stuff that we need is actually locking down like crazy all year. And by the way, you know, they, they won't even license Western mRNA vaccines like, you know, Pfizer and Moderna. They're waiting for their own Chinese mRNA vaccine, which they're pushing hard, but it's not going to be ready till the end of the year for, for big for big league wow. population rollout. So 2022 is a problem here. It's, it's just really interesting. I'd say it is. Hey, and not. And I don't want to get too far off uh, your your list of risks because we look forward to it every year. But how big a deal is it that we found out this year that she is actually a communist? I mean, he's not just a, like a Putin style dictator who wants to be rich and powerful. It would seem he's an actual communist and is like reining back the uh, you know the, the successful businesses and sectors in a weird way. That, that seems like good news for us. Uh, you know. The Chinese economy right now is more unequal than even the United States. And for an ostensibly socialist country, um, that's a problem. And so what you have is Xi Jinping acting like an authoritarian populist, saying, no, I, I, don't, I don't care about Jack Ma. I care about the working class and the middle class. And, and, and that means I'm willing to take some hits in terms of my private sector. So I don't know if you saw the Chinese government a few months ago said, if you're a kid, you get two hours a week on video games. You don't you don't use them. They don't roll over to the next week. Right. I know a lot of American parents that would love to put that in place, too. But the fact is that that, that's basically, you know, cutting an enormous amount of wealth generation out of those companies. He doesn't care. So I do think that that's going to be a hit for a number of really, really profitable Chinese firms. I want to be clear that's very different than, say, Chinese semiconductor industry, which they are putting an enormous amount of money in. They want to be world class. That's very different from artificial intelligence 
and smart cities and sensors and autonomous driving where the Chinese want their companies to be world leaders. So I, I think that you may be over egging the pudding a bit by saying okay. that this is the year we found out she is a communist. Gotcha. Yeah, cut it out, you over-egger. Um, we, could, we could talk for the next month about China, but let's move on to number two, which I found so interesting. The technopolar world, the report says the physical world is a mess because no countries are willing or able to provide global leadership. Digital space is even more poorly governed. Do tell. Well, we're, we're so everyone is angry at the big tech companies now because there's so much disinformation, um, because there's so many challenges in terms of cyber attacks and personal security getting hacked and critical infrastructure getting hacked. And so you're hearing people say, well, government has to do something about this. In 2022, companies, tech companies are going to get richer and more powerful faster than governments can catch up to regulate them. And that means more disinformation more anxious populations, more problems in in governance and elections. You know, when you and I were kids, we would, if you wanted to figure out how screwed up we are, we would say, well, it was either the way you were brought up, it's nurture, or it's your genetics, it's nature. Increasingly, it's actually nature versus nurture versus algorithms. Wow. It's the virtual world and the way that kids are getting information and connecting with people as intermediated by these algorithms driven by tech companies. And, you know, we're doing that without testing them on on anyone first. You wouldn't do that with a drug. You wouldn't do that with a GMO crop. But we're doing that with literally the the thought processes of the brains of our children. And I, I don't see how that isn't becoming a much more significant risk for society. Wow. As a, as a guy who's raising a, a nine-year-old and a, an 11-year-old boy right now and dealing with a lot of that, that is... Man, that's a heap and helping us stuff to think about right there. That is really interesting. Well, you know that these the executives from these companies don't let their kids on this stuff. Right. Right. Absolutely. So, so perhaps I'm an idiot because I thought, um, and, and about half the audience is saying perhaps, um, <laughs> I, I, I've thought the U.S. midterms is going to be fairly predictable and probably not of great note. You disagree, obviously. That's high on your list at number three. Tell us what you're thinking. Well, look, I mean, this is in part, this is because the 2022 election is so critically important for 2024. Um, and in part, it's because the United States is fundamentally more politically dysfunctional and divided than any of our you know, major advanced industrial allies. I mean, we've had elections in the last few months in Germany, Japan and Canada. They've all been fine, free and fair. We'll have in the next few months in South Korea, France. No problem. We cannot we can no longer have free, fair, legitimate national elections in the United States. The losing side thinks that they're illegitimate and stolen. And that started in 2016 with the Russia collusion story. Hillary Clinton didn't support it, but a lot of Democrats did. It got much worse in 2020 because Trump himself pushed the big lie and has been doing it very effectively with his supporters for the last year. And now we're setting up for the midterm elections where, I mean, you know, the Republicans led by Trump are very likely to take the House, maybe the Senate and key gubernatorial and state legislatures, which are going to be critical for certifying the election in 2024. So this is kind of the tipping point for what is likely to be 
a much more problematic and, dare I say, crisis cycle for, as in the run-up to 2024. We will have a link to the Eurasia Group's 2022 risk report, top risks 2022, if you want to look at the rest of it. Ian, as always, we could talk to you all day, uh, but you have limited time. We thank you so much for the yeah, insight. Thanks. We look forward to the next chance to talk. Happy New Year, gentlemen. Be good. You too. Armstrong and Getty. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. I you. Let's go, Brandon. The Armstrong and Getty Show. And I'm reading The 100-Year Marathon, which is the absolutely fabulous book about the realities of Chinese strategy. And it's written by a bloke. Uh, do you remember his name? Pillsbury? He was one of the main advocates, the China experts who advised presidents for decades. And Nixon's the so-called opening of China, which oh, yeah. Pillsbury points out, they lured us into a trap. We didn't open crap. Right. <laughs> the guy's got thank you notes from Kissinger from yeah. back in the early 70s, and now he's written a book saying, I was completely wrong. We were all wrong. And, and here's one of the most interesting aspects of it, to me anyway. And I'm reminded, I'm going to give away the punchline, but I'm reminded of some conversations that I've had, whether on the air or in real life throughout the years. For instance, I have a friend who's of Iranian descent, and we've talked about Iran and and, and, and the people of Iran and the customs and, and stuff like that. And he was talking to me one time about how you have to be really, really on your toes if you're negotiating with an Iranian, because deception and outmaneuvering somebody is prized much more than honesty. And I remember in, uh, you know, when we America was getting used to Islam and, and people were talking about, oh, he's a moderate Muslim. It's okay. Not all Muslims are terrorists, which, of course, is true. But people forget that within Islam, within the Koran, it's made explicitly clear that deceiving people to further Islam is great. And Americans are so dopey and so naive and so unicornian, particularly on the left, that to say anything critical about a different culture than our own is seen as, oh, that's racist. You're a xenophobe. That's ugly, which is so unspeakably naive and dopey. It's hard to believe that it sways many people, but it sways lots and lots of people. But so this is uh, from the 100-Year Marathon. Um, and I'm going to be jumping around, but the, 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 I think the context becomes clear. But one conclusion that emerged was that Chinese did not view strategy the same way Americans did. Whereas Americans tended to favor direct action, those of Chinese ethnic origin were found to favor the indirect over the direct, ambiguity and deception over clarity and transparency. Another conclusion was that Chinese literature and writings on strategy prized deception. And he gives a bunch of different examples that that's like the most, the best read book in China is uh, about ancient wars and how deception won them. Deception is prized. Well, that's interesting. What an interesting cultural difference that you wouldn't pick up on unless or think about unless somebody told you that it's seen as a flaw or sin for, for right. us in our culture. Right. Yeah. Not, not, oh, look how good he is at fooling people. Nobody ever says that. 
And two decades after what he's talking about, Nathan Leidis, who was renowned for his psychoanalytical cultural studies, observed, quote, Chinese literature on strategy from Sung Tzu through Mao Zedong has emphasized deception more than many military doctrines. Chinese deception is oriented mainly toward inducing the enemy to act inexpediently and less toward protecting the integrity of one's own plans. In other cultures, particularly Western, deception is used primarily with the intention of, uh, of ensuring that one's own forces can realize their maximum striking potential. The prevalent payoff of deception for the Chinese is that one does not have to use one's own forces. Chinese tend to shroud their means in secrecy and not publicize the day-to-day activities of those in power, for surprise and deception are assumed to be vital. Chinese literature often highlights the role of deception and the need for the sage, that is the wise statesman, to penetrate penetrate the deception around him to find the hidden signals in reality. There's an emphasis in many classic Chinese stories of heroes using cunning to manipulate others. The heroes of many popular novels, films, television programs are those who prove adept at concealing their motives, misleading enemies, and veiling their true intentions until the end. Those artists considered the most skilled convey deceptive signs that require a reader's efforts and intelligence to decipher and understand before the plot reaches a conclusion. That's really fascinating because you you I don't think you could have a hero in a in a uh, in a book or a movie in our culture that is all about deceiving people like you could obviously with theirs. You know, it's interesting. There's a fine line. Um, you know, Eisenhower tried like crazy to deceive the Germans into thinking D-Day was coming um, somewhere else or some other time. On the other hand, the thing with China is to pretend to be an ally. Never show your true face. They made a mistake. The, the Soviet Union became aware that China was clearly bent on becoming the, the leading communist power. And they saw that that backfired on them, and the Soviets became extremely protective and standoffish and wouldn't help China anymore. And the Chinese learned a hard lesson there. And so when they realized, okay, our route to power and wealth is the United States, our former enemy, the last thing we can do is let them know they're our enemy. We have got to deceive them. And that's when they launched the plan to approach Kissinger and, and and Nixon over and over again, by the way, interestingly enough, and and say, hey, hey, how about being buddies now? It was all built on deception. But here's here's the punchline to me. You know what? I'll give you the punchline after a quick word from our friends at Simply Safe Home Security, beloved sponsor of the Armstrong and Getty Show. And because you listen to the show, they're giving you listeners to all, I'm sorry, they're giving you access to all of their New Year's holiday deals. 20% off their award-winning home security, and your first month is free when you sign up for the interactive monitoring service. Yeah, and it's so simple. You can customize the system for your home online in a couple of minutes at the website that we're going to give you and even get free custom recommendations. No long-term contracts. That's the way pretty much all security systems work is you sign up for several years, whether you like it or not, whether it's too complicated to use or not. No long-term contracts or commitments. It's really easy to have more peace of mind this new year. And these cameras are so good. High def, night vision, the rest of it. If anybody comes on your property, you're going to be able to look them in the face and see their license plate number or whatever. 20% off. Just go to simplysafe.com slash Armstrong. Simplysafe.com slash Armstrong. So easy, so good. Simplysafe.com slash Armstrong. 
All right, so here's your your punchline, if you will. There's a huge 1940s study. The United States was trying to come to grips with Chinese culture, trying to figure out, all right, this 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 emerging power. How do we deal with them? What do we need to know about Chinese culture? And they interviewed thousands and thousands and thousands of people of Chinese uh, origin about Chinese culture. And the results of the original 1940s study, the idea that an ethno-national group viewed the world differently proved controversial and politically incorrect, and they were never published. The sole existing copy rests quietly in the Library of Congress, um, etc. So they did this enormous study, and they said, hey, turns out in Chinese culture, deception pretending to be your friend, pretending to be your ally, meanwhile undermining you from within. That's not viewed as as awful. That's viewed as clever. People smile and clap their hands at that sort of thing. And and the left reacted to that by saying, oh, my God, that is racist. That is so judgmental. It's xenophobic. And they buried the report. If you can't face up to what is true, get off the stage. Well, in the long arc of history, I'll tell you which one of the cultures is going to survive and which one will uh, be dominated. Yeah, I've become aware of, I think, is it the, the 36 the, the thirty six principles or the 36 something or other? It's, it's a piece of literature that's as important to Chinese culture as, gosh, I don't even know what is to ours. The Constitution, honestly. Um, and it's 36 stories of the great warring period of, of Chinese history. And they're all about deception and the fact that we're so dumb and friendly and, and, and maybe, maybe it's just that we're nice. We're a nice people. The fact that we can't come to terms with that is, is to our discredit. And if we don't wake up soon, to our doom.